0: This is the last day of this January 2020 Rohatsu, seven-day session, And as uh, you can all see, uh, power has been restored. <clears throat> Today we'll uh, take up a koan, and this is... From the Blue Cliff Record, number 23, Hofuku points to Myoho Cho, and this is how it reads. Once when Hofuku and Choke were wandering in the mountains, Hofuku, pointing with his finger to the ground, said, this is the summit of the mystic peak. Choke Choke said indeed it is, but alas and then Secho comments What is the purpose today of travelling in the mountains with such fellows? He also said I don't say we do not find such men as this in a hundred or a thousand years, but they are rare. Later, a monk related this conversation to Kyosei, who said, "But for Chokei's remark, fields would be littered with skulls." So we do have information about these first two guys. Uh, Hofuku is this Japanese name; his Chinese name is Bao Fu Song Zhan with um, apologies to the Chinese, I'm going to use the Japanese names for both of these guys. It's uh, just easier to distinguish Hofuku and Chouke, uh than the Chinese names. They're Chinese names. And uh, also easier to pronounce. So this Hofuku, uh, is, they're both in the Tang dynasty, uh, Hofuku died in 928. He was a disciple of the famous Seppo, Shui Feng. Seppo figures in uh, well, at least uh, five or six koans. According to the transmission of the lamp, at the age of 15, Hofuku became a student of Seppo. He was ordained at the age of 18, and then he traveled to other areas in China uh, before returning to become Seppo's attendant. And here's some dialogues. One day, Seppo, that's the teacher, suddenly called him, saying, Do you understand? Hofuku was about to approach Seppo, but Seppo pushed him away with his staff. And at that, Hofuku understood. Another dialogue, Hofoku brought up for consideration the statement by Panshan, "When all illuminated realms are gone, what is it that remains and he also brought up dongshan's statement when when all illuminated realms are undiminished, what else is there and then uh, Hofoku said. According to what was expounded by these two worthies, there is something left over that isn't annihilated. He then asked um, Choke, what would you say now to exterminate it? Choke was silent for a long time. Hofuku said, You're seeking speaking strategies in a mountain spirit's cave. Choke asked, then what would you say? Hofoku said, both hands on the plow, water above the knees. Once a local magistrate Wang honored the master's great reputation by building and supporting the Hofuku Zen monastery and inviting the master become to become the abbot and teach there. On the day when the temple opened, the magistrate knelt on his knees and begged the master to speak to the assembly. He even personally supported the master to help him ascend the dais. Must have been, uh, Hofugu must have been, maybe, old? No, he died in, uh, oh yeah, 928. So this was 10 years before he died. The master said, why are you making all this into a joke? Still, Since you've asked three times, I can't avoid it. It's uh, customary in uh, Zen. Uh, If you really want something enough, you'll ask three times. What does he mean? Why are you making all this into a joke? Many of the masters have uh, expressed the dismay at the prospect of being able to Express the Dharma in words and how, how meager, how flimsy words are compared to the Dharma. Why are you making all this into a joke? Okay, since you asked three times, I can't avoid it. He then addressed the crowd. Worthies, do you understand? If you understand, then you're no different from the ancient Buddhas. May not have been his um, most memorable talk. A monk came forward. Just as he began to speak, the master said, You can't soar into the clear sky yet. You must wait until rain drenches your head. Once when uh, Zen Master Hofuku saw a monk, he struck a nearby pillar with his staff. <coughs> he then strunk, struck the monk on the head. The monk refrained from expressing pain. Hofoku said, Why didn't that hurt? And then, uh, uh, later master said on behalf of the monk a wretched teacher here 's one's a little more comprehensible some of these exchanges that uh, we read from from this book oh of, co- of course I forgot this is uh, Zen's Chinese heritage by Andy Ferguson great compendium of of uh, biographical material on the uh, Tang Dynasty Masters. Uh, A lot of these uh, aren't so clear to me either. The ones with, uh, so many of them are sprinkled with uh, cultural uh, allusions, cultural allusions specific not only to China, but to ancient China. I've heard that, that even Chinese scholars, modern Chinese scholars, uh, can't access uh, some of these Tang Dynasty allusions. And uh, same here, some of these things just get by me. Part of the job of, of the teacher in working in Doksan with people who are working on these koans is to uh, throw some light on them uh, to the extent that the teacher knows Himself or herself, it's uh, more likely the teacher will know with the koans because these have been passed down in the transmission process through teacher to student, working on these koans. But uh, these, uh, these many of these, these exchange, these stories and dialogues um, are it's not clear. This one is more so. A monk asked during the twelve hours of the day, how should one be watchful? Hofuku said, be watchful like you are now. The monk said, why can't I see something? Hofuku said, quit poking your eyes and calling the spots you see flowers. So this is a, a common uh, analogy we see going way back hundreds of years, and it's not specific to China, of course. We can do the same. We can do it right now, is press. Press your finger against your, your eyelid or the corner of your eye, and you can see spots in front of you. And this was uh, often used to uh, point out how what we see can be an illusion. There aren't flowers you know, draped in front of our eyes. That's an illusion. Same with words and concepts. So, why can't I see? Why can't I He's really asking, why can't I see things as they are? Well, quit pressing on your eyes and calling the spots you see flowers. A monk asked, what do you say about finding meaning in speech? Hofuku said, what speech is that? The monk looked down and didn't answer. Hofuku said, The sword of function is like lightning. Thinking about it is futile. Hofuku saw a monk counting money. He held out his hand and said, I beg you for a string of cash. Uh, the Chinese coins had holes in them. I bet a lot of you have seen them. We had a few when we were kids that we were allowed to play with. Uh, and then the, and then there'd be strings put through, through uh, a pile of these coins, through the holes. Um, I beg you for a string of cash. The monk said, How is it that the master could have fallen to such straits? Hofoku said, I've fallen to these straits," the monk said. "If it's really so, then take a string of cash." Hofuku said, "How have you fallen to such straits?" Could we could understand this as, as uh, the monk having missed uh, the real meaning of. this hofuku asking for a string of cash or uh, something else. Here's another... (laughs) A monk asked, If one wants to reach the road of no life and death, one must first see the original source. What is the original source? Huffuku was silent for a long time. Then he said to his attendant, What was it that that monk just asked me? <laughs> Wait, it gets better. The monk repeated his question. Huffuku yelled, I'm not deaf. <laughs> And then finally a monk said, I've just arrived at the monastery. I asked the master to reveal to me the complete entrance. How do we how do we enter the gate? How do we uh see, realize ourselves? Hofoku said, If I were to show you the complete entrance, then I would just bow to you. And then the, uh, some description of his last days. Um, he lived at this, this Hofuku temple only one year. Uh, and during that time, not fewer than 700 students gathered there. The governor of the province deeply respected him, memorializing the emperor for him to receive the, for him to receive the purple robe. Is the height of honors for Zen masters that receive the purple robe. In the third year of the such-and-such era, 928, the master showed signs of a slight illness. The monks entered his quarters to inquire about him. Hofuku said to them, We've known each other these many years. What artistry could possibly help me? The monks said, "There are such arts." Hearing this did not dispel Hofuku's objection. So apparently, they were offering to do some, some kind of uh, Chinese um, magic or something, and uh, Hofuku wasn't interested. And then Hofuku said to the monks, "During these last ten days, my strength has failed. Don't worry about it." It's just that my time has come. A monk asked, If your time has come, then will the master go, or will the master stay? They just won't let him alone. Uh, H- Hofuku said, Speak, speak. The monk said, If it is thus, then I dare not speak hastily. Hofuku said, I've been robbed of my money. And then when he finished speaking, Master crossed his legs and passed away. So that was Hofuku, and now Choke, Uh, also a disciple of Seppo, like Hofuku. He uh, entered his first Buddhist temple at the age of thirteen. Studied under various Zen teachers, and then he he trained under a uh, at one uh, Ling Yun, where he experienced difficulty and doubt about his practice. This is this is useful to hear a little nuggets like that it's so easy to uh, idealize these masters and imagine that that uh, they were somehow they were born enlightened or something or practically but uh there's so much we don't hear about in these in these biographical accounts all the struggles um, for example i don't know that i've ever heard in all the biographical material i've read Never heard uh, virtually nothing about pain while sitting you would you know they had pain when they are sitting, but at least some stage of their practice, but they just doesn't find its way into the record. These old records there's a different different era uh, when uh People did not see physical pain as somehow something going wrong, something they uh, they ought to be able to get rid of. So just a condition of life, as it is for us. But with us, we have, uh, we've we've become uh, conditioned to uh, expect that we shouldn't have to put up with it. You can only imagine the the kind of just daily pain of all kinds that the people of that time had to deal with. But this isn't just physical pain. It's where he experienced difficulty and doubt about his practice. Doubt. Did he quit? No, he didn't quit. He traveled to Fuzhou, where only after arduous meditation under Seppo did he gain enlightenment. And then it says in in parentheses, tradition holds that he wore out seven meditation cushions. Seppo provided Choke with the, this is in quotes, the medicine a horse doctor uses to bring a dead horse alive again he instructed Choke to practice meditation in the hall as if he were a dead tree stump. Choke followed this practice for two and a half years. That's, that's be, be above and beyond what he'd already been doing for years. He did this for two and a half more years until late one night after others had gone to bed He rolled up a bamboo screen, and his eye fell upon the light of a lantern. At that moment, he awakened. The next day, he composed the following verse to attest to his understanding. I was so far off, so far off. Then all the earth was revealed when I rolled up a screen. If anyone asks me to explain our school, I'll raise the whisk and slap his mouth. So far off, so far off. And yet, like one in water, crying, I thirst. So, so far, but so near. Far only as long as we are engaging with our thoughts, trying to figure it out, thinking about ourselves, our practice, it's so far off. With no thoughts in the mind, it's right here. There's more to this where uh, uh, um, Seppo, hearing this verse from Choke, he presented it to the senior monk and said, this disciple has penetrated the way. Uh, the monk said, I don't approve. This verse could have been composed with mundane, conscious understanding. We have to test him further before we can confirm him. Um, And the monks assembled for a question-answer session. Uh, Seppo uh, said to Choke, The head monk doesn't approve your understanding. If you have been genuinely enlightened, please present your understanding now to the assembly. And then uh, Choke presented another verse. Amidst the myriad realms, the solitary body is revealed. Only persons self-allowing are intimate with it. Before, I wrongly searched among the paths, but today I see, and it's like ice in fire. And then Sapo, who had approved the first one, looked at the head monk and said, I don't accept this. It still could be composed with conscious understanding. We don't. We don't need to take these these uh, responses by Seppo and the uh, the head monk at face value. They could all this could, this. could be part of a kind of a theater for the the rest of the monks. And then Choke said to his teacher Seppo, "Please demonstrate what has been passed down by all the ancestors." Seppo remained silent. Choke then bowed and walked out of the hall. Seppo smiled. This one last one here uh, Choke addressed the monks, saying, "If I truly expound the vehicle of our school, then I should simply close the door to the Dharma hall. therefore, I'll just say that in the inexhaustible Dharma, there are no persons. It's basic, basic truth of emptiness." From the very beginning, there has never been a single thing, nor persons. Now back to today's koan. Once when Hofuku and Choke were wandering in the mountains, Hofuku, pointing with his finger to the ground, said, This is the summit of the mystic peak. We could say the very summit of the mystic peak itself. Uh, the name of it is Myoho-cho, um, which is a, was a, a mythological sacred mountain that symbolized ultimate reality. It's also, we're told here in the koan, it's the mountain where fifty great Buddhist teachers lived, according to the Avatamsaka Sutra. Could imagine that Tohofuku had just got on, gotten out of a seven day Sashine, wandering through the pastures, the, the woods, the mountains and just gushing with awe at what he what he saw. It's the same mountains and pastures and woods that, uh, that were there the last time he went there. But if, it, if this was after a seven-day sesheen, then he would be seeing with new eyes. One way to understand what we're doing here in this work is just cleaning our vision that we don't need to change anything, everything is whole and complete luminous and perfect just as it is it's our 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 sight that is flawed sometimes it's, it's like uh, cleaning eyeglasses the the dust on the eyeglasses, if we get that off, then we see things as they are. If it was after a Sashin, you could uh, forgive him for waxing rhapsodic at what he saw. It's always, though, a danger uh, that if we talk too much after Sashin uh, we lose something it's hard not to there's such a natural uh, kind of release after seven days of silence and everything that comes along with that all of the exuberance enthusiasm Joy, even to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. We used to, for the final um, meal after Sashin had ended, uh, we would it would be a, a, it wouldn't be served buffet style the way we, we do here, but it was uh, we, we sat at tables, uh, and. Um, it got really raucous. Uh, and uh, there was a time when uh, Tony, Tony Packer uh, wanted to try having the meal in silence. This is after, you know, maybe an hour, 45 minutes of uh, all greetings and laughter and all, but to return uh, to... The ground of it all, the silence. It's, uh, I was all for it. Uh, we just tried it once. R- Roshi Kapo, about 10 minutes into the silent meal, he said, Come on, let's talk. <laughs> he said, his exact words were, Taint natural. but leaving aside the meal itself uh, try just try catching yourself alone for half a minute or at least to just be reminded of the essence of it all because it's so easy to just get swept up in all kinds of Frantic energy, crazy energy. This this statement is what comes down to us through the records of a thousand years. The the statement, this is the summit of the mystic peak. Uh, Part of the job of the student in Doksan is is to bring some color into this. How did he say it? These koans are kind of like coloring books that you have to bring in the affect, the well, the state of mind of the person speaking, and uh, and show uh, what's what's behind it. It's such a rare thing in uh, in our lives to have the. the privilege of what we are just wrapping up now, seven days, a full week of silence, almost complete silence. And again, uh, we risk losing something if we too quickly, too completely cover everything up with words. Someone said that uh, words are like eyeglasses. They make, whatever they don't make clearer, they make blurry. There's a story from this collection of uh, stories. The book is called uh, The Man of Many Qualities, uh, the subtitle is A Legacy of the I Ching, and the author, uh, R. G. H. Shu S-I-U, uh, arranged these many stories from uh, countries all over the world, uh, contemporary and ancient stories, by the 64 hexagrams of the I Ching. And uh, here's one that uh, even I remember Roshi reading. Um, It's a Nigerian folk tale. A hunter goes into the bush. He finds an old human skull. The hunter says, what brought you here? The skull answers, talking brought me here. The hunter runs off, he runs to the king. He tells the king, I found a dry human skull in the bush. It asks how its father and mother are. The king says, Never since my mother bore me have I heard that a dead skull can speak. The king summons the alkali, the Saba, and the Degi and asks them if they have ever heard the like. None of the wise men has heard the like and they decide to send guards out with the hunter into the bush to find out if his story is true and if so, to learn the reason for it. The guards accompany the hunter into the bush with the order to kill him on the spot should he have lied. The guards and the hunter come to the skull. The hunter addresses the skull. Skull, speak. The skull is silent. The hunter asks, as before, What brought you here? The skull does not answer. The whole day long, the hunter begs the skull to speak, but it does not answer. In the evening, the guards tell the hunter to make the skull speak, and when he cannot, they kill him, in accordance with the king's command. When the guards are gone, the skull opens its jaws and asks the dead hunter's head, what brought you here? (laughs) (laughs) The dead hunter's head replies, talking brought me here. And now to the, back to the koan and Choke's response. So after this, the summit of the mystic peak, this is the summit of the mystic peak. And, uh, Choke said, indeed it is, okay, so far so good, but alas. That's the nub of the koan. And then Secho comments, what is the purpose today of traveling in the mountains with such fellows? He also said, I don't say we do not find such men as this in a hundred or a thousand years, but they are rare. On the, on the face of it, it, sounds like he's, uh, making two very different comments. What's the purpose today of, like, oh, what, what losers these guys are? And then the second one, we don't find men like this in a hundred or a thousand years. That's another point for the student to unravel. Later, a monk related this conversation to Kyosei, himself became a master, who said, if it weren't for Chokei's remark, fields would be littered with skulls, speaking of skulls. So as with any koan, this requires the student to get inside the mind and not just the cerebellum, but inside the mind, inside the hara of both hofuku and choke to to be able to discern what's behind these words. I can't imagine better training for... uh, the difficulty of seeing through words, then working on koans. It develops a kind of x-ray vision that is extremely helpful in daily life, dealing with people to to be able to discern what's going on behind the words, Our time is up. We'll stop and recite the four vows.
1: without number. I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to root to arm me beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I vow to attain all without number I vow to liberate endless blind passions I vow to abroach Dharma gates beyond measure I vow to benedict the great way of Buddha I vow To attain all beings without number, I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to Dharma Dharmagates beyond measure. I vow to penetrate the great way of Buddha. I bow to attack.